Welcome to episode 47 of Destination Disaster. I am your host, Devin Carney. This week, we are going to discuss the East Palestine train derailment. We are starting to see more of the preliminary findings be released, giving us a glimpse into the hours and minutes before the disaster that occurred outside the town of East Palestine, Ohio. Citizens that live in the town are worried that officials are lying to them, claiming the environment to be safe and habitable. However, if you are like me and addicted to TikTok, then I'm sure you've seen the massive amounts of creators posting videos of water laden with a chemical sheen, numerous reports of dead and dying animals, and marine life in the affected area. I feel that this is an incredibly important story to report on, not only because we are seeing firsthand the response and coordination between state and federal authorities, but how a massive corporation such as Norfolk Southern handles such accidents. It is my belief that a disaster such as this needs to kickstart the discussion into why corporations have the ability to bypass key safety measures, allowing them to knowingly operate in unsafe conditions in order to save a few million dollars. Norfolk Southern is one of the largest rail freight operators in the United States, responsible for just over 20,000 route miles, and operates primarily in the Northeast, Midwest, and Southern portions of the United States. In terms of size, Norfolk Southern is the fifth largest operator. Now to preface, I do have a degree in emergency management, so much of what I will discuss on this episode is not meant to criticize the response, only for us to learn from it. For those of you who may live in a different country or are not familiar with where East Palestine, Ohio is located, this village is home to roughly 4,800 people and is situated roughly halfway between Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and Youngstown, Ohio. East Palestine was founded in 1828 as Mechanicsburg and incorporated as a village in 1875 as East Palestine, after the Middle Eastern region of Palestine. The name was changed as part of a religious nomenclature in the area including communities such as Medina, Enon Valley, New Galilee, and Salem. Palestine, Ohio, was already an incorporated community in the western part of the state. Having reached a population of 5,000, East Palestine operated as a statutory city from 1920 until 2011 when it reverted to village status because of a declining population. At the time of the accident, the train involved was transporting 141 loaded cars and 9 empty cars between the Terminal Rail Yard Association of St. Louis in Madison, Illinois, to Norfolk Southern's rail yard in Conway, Pennsylvania. Of the 150 cars, 20 were carrying toxic chemicals, which included vinyl chloride, benzene, 2-butoxyethanol, 2-ethylhexylacrylate, isobutylene, and butylacrylate. Many of these chemicals are harmful to humans and can cause severe health issues such as cancers and as irritants in different areas of the body. In order to understand just how dangerous this derailment was, I want to provide some context on the chemicals and what their common applications are. We'll go ahead and start with the one that most media agencies are reporting on, which is vinyl chloride. This chemical is most commonly used in the process of making polyvinyl chloride, or PVC. The compound has a sweet smell and is classified as carcinogenic. Due to the low boiling point of vinyl chloride, it will combust when it comes into contact with normal atmospheric conditions. Prior to the mid-1970s, factory workers would normally work in conditions that would expose them to the chemical, 
totaling well over 1,000 parts per million, which would result in many having experienced acute health effects. The symptoms of vinyl chloride exposure are classified by parts per million levels in ambient air with 4,000 parts per million having a threshold effect. The intensity of symptoms varies from acute at 1 to 8,000 parts per million, including dizziness, nausea, visual disturbances, headache, and ataxia, to chronic, which is above 12,000 parts per million, and this includes narcotic effects, cardiac arrhythmias, and fatal respiratory failure. RADS, which is Reactive Airway Dysfunction Syndrome, may also be caused by acute exposure to vinyl chloride. In addition to the acute health effects that can be experienced, vinyl chloride is also a mutagen, having clastogenic effects, which means it can affect lymphocyte chromosomal structures. Vinyl chloride is an IARC group 1 carcinogen, posing elevated risks of rare angiosarcoma, brain and lung tumors, and other malignant lymphatic tumors. Chronic exposure leads to common forms of respiratory failure, such as emphysema and pulmonary fibrosis, and focused hepatotoxicity, such as hepatomegaly and hepatic fibrosis. Continuous exposure can cause CNS depression, including euphoria and disorientation. Decreased male libido, miscarriage, and birth effects are also known major reproductive defects associated with vinyl chloride. This chemical can have acute dermal and ocular effects. Dermal exposure effects are thickening of skin, edema, decreased elasticity, local frostbites, blistering, and irritation. The complete loss of skin elasticity expresses itself in Raynaud's phenomenon. The next chemical that was identified as being loaded in the affected cars is benzene. Benzene is an organic chemical compound and is one of the natural constituents of petrochemicals. Trace amounts of benzene are found in petroleum and coal, and it is a byproduct of the incomplete combustion of many materials. For commercial use, until World War II, much of benzene was obtained as a byproduct of coke production, or coke oven light oil, for the steel industry. However, in the 1950s, increased demand for benzene, especially from the growing polymers industry, necessitated the production of benzene from petroleum. Today, most benzene comes from the petrochemical industry, with only a small fraction being produced from coal. Benzene is a sweet-smelling yellow liquid when stored at room temperature. Major effect of benzene from long-term exposure is on the blood. Long-term exposure means exposure of a year or more. Benzene causes harmful effects on the bone marrow and can cause a decrease in red blood cells, leading to anemia. It can also cause excessive bleeding. It can affect the immune system, increasing the chance for infection. Some women who breathed high levels of benzene for many months had irregular menstrual periods and a decrease in the size of their ovaries. It is not known whether benzene exposure affects the developing fetus in pregnant women or fertility in men. Animal studies have shown low birth weights, or delayed bone formation and bone marrow damage when pregnant animals breathed benzene. The Department of Health and Human Services has determined that benzene causes cancer in humans. Long-term exposure to high levels of benzene in the air can cause leukemia, a cancer of the blood-forming organs. 2-butoxyethanol is a solvent found in many different products such as paint thinners, spray paints, household cleaners, and even some cosmetics. Increased exposure to the solvent can damage the lungs, eyes, kidneys, and even blood. The amount of damage it causes is relative to the amount of time exposed increases exponentially with time. Finally, 2-ethylhexylacrylate is an acrylate used in the production of paints, plastics, and adhesives. Depending upon your level and time of exposure, adverse health effects can differ and include dizziness, skin rashes, pulmonary edema, and should be treated as a carcinogen. This chemical is highly self-reactive and can combust when exposed to high temperatures. Now that we have that additional knowledge out of the way, let's take a look at some of the many reasons that could have contributed to this disaster. Beginning in the early 1990s, 
rail freight companies began implementing a scheduling process called precision railroad scheduling. Now, just hearing that term, you're probably thinking, yeah, that sounds super effective and safe, right? Well, it's not focused on safety in the slightest, and it only focuses on consolidating costs, reducing overall worker count, and increasing train lengths. First developed by E. Hunter Harrison in 1993, the scheduling process was criticized by many and believed it was mainly to benefit the trucking companies that would be responsible for the final freight delivery. Precision railroading has been criticized on many fronts. Shippers complain about poor service delays, and railroad workers have raised concerns about safety due to reduced inspections and staffing. Under PSR, service is typically eliminated on shipping lanes and origin destination pairs that have low traffic levels. Intermodal terminals have been consolidated, with the railroad relying on trucks for the last 100 miles. Fewer workers are needed, even with higher traffic volumes. As a result, over 20,000 railroad workers were laid off in 2019. The Surface Transportation Board estimates large freight carriers employed 30% fewer workers in 2022 as compared to 2018. Now, Train 32N, which is the subject of our episode today, was 9,300 feet long or 1.76 miles in length, and only three rail staff were on board this train, which consisted of an engineer, conductor, and a conductor trainee. So basically two professional operators. Prior to this train even departing its point of origin, it experienced a mechanical failure, meaning that this crew was knowingly operating at an increased risk. I truly believe that this accident was a compounding event that had been building over time, starting with the 20,000 railroad workers being laid off, the implementation of precision railroad scheduling, limited time to complete inspections, and the failure to invest in safety. Dating back to 2014, beginning with the Obama administration, there was an emphasis in requiring trains to be equipped with ECP, or electronically controlled pneumatic brakes, instead of the traditional air brakes that most trains are equipped with. This particular train in question was not equipped with electronically controlled pneumatic brakes. In fact, instead of reinvesting the billions in revenue into making their infrastructure safer, Norfolk Southern issued stock buybacks to shareholders. Amid the lobbying blitz against stronger transportation safety regulations, Norfolk Southern paid executives millions and spent billions on stock buybacks, all while the company shed thousands of employees despite warnings that understaffing is intensifying safety risks. Norfolk Southern officials also fought off a shareholder initiative that could have required company executives to assess, review, and mitigate risks of hazardous material transportation. Now tell me, does this make any sense to you? Had Norfolk Southern installed the electronically controlled pneumatic brakes, this could have reduced the stopping distance by 60%, potentially saving this train from a derailment. Approximately 20 miles outside of East Palestine, Ohio, a security camera recorded flames emanating from below one of the train cars due to an overheating wheel bearing. This is ultimately what would cause the train to derail. Had the crew been allotted a proper amount of time to inspect each car, this issue could have potentially been identified. Ultimately, the string of layoffs, precision scheduling, and lobbying against safety regulations would lead to the situation that we are in today, a town that will unfortunately have to suffer in the decades to come. We are going to take a quick break, and when we return, we are going to discuss the environmental effects that this disaster continues to cause. Alright, you've made it this far into the show. You're obviously interested and enjoy the content. Why not take the next step and pick up some branded Destination Disaster merch? A portion of each purchase is donated to a charity of your choice. Buying merch doesn't benefit me personally as it will be reinvested into the show and allow for further upgrades in the future. If you're interested in purchasing, 
The link to the store is in the show notes below. Thanks. Do you enjoy the show? Do you have a topic that you would like featured? Well, now you can submit it directly to the show. If you have a topic that you would like me to cover in a future episode, please submit it to destinationdisastertopics at gmail.com. If it is a smaller topic or simply a question you would like answered, submit it anyways and I will cover it in the introduction to the episode. Alright, now back to the show. So before the break, we discussed that the derailment was caused by an overheating wheel bearing, which was seen on a security camera about 20 miles outside of East Palestine, Ohio. Had the ECP brakes been installed, one single command would have brought the entire train to a halt, averting this disaster. However, that's not the case, and now we're seeing the environmental disaster unfold before our very eyes. According to the NTSB, or National Transportation Safety Board, the overheated bearing was identified by the HBD, or hotbox detection system, installed on this portion of track. On the Fort Wayne line of the Keystone Division, Norfolk Southern has equipped their rail network with HBD systems to assess the temperature conditions of wheel bearings while en route. The function of the HBD is to detect overheated bearings and provide audible real-time warnings to train crews. Train 32N passed three HBD systems on its trip before the derailment. At milepost 79.9, the suspect bearing from the 23rd car had a recorded temperature of 38 degrees Fahrenheit above ambient temperature. When train 32N passed the next HBD at milepost 69.01, the bearing's recorded temperature was 103 degrees Fahrenheit over ambient. The third HPD at milepost 49.81 recorded the suspect bearings temperature at 253 degrees above ambient temperature. Norfolk Southern has established the following HPD alarm thresholds above ambient temperature and criteria for bearings. Between 170 and 200 degrees Fahrenheit, this is a warm bearing which means it is non-critical so you should stop and inspect. A difference between bearings on the same axle greater than or equal to 115 degrees Fahrenheit is non-critical stop and inspect. And finally, greater than 200 degrees Fahrenheit, this is critical, set out those rail cars. When train 32N derailed, 51 cars were involved in the direct derailment and 11 ruptured, catching fire and spilling toxic chemicals into both the air and nearby waterways. Initially, Norfolk Southern personnel were the first on the ground and noticed hazardous materials leaking into nearby Sulphur Run and Leslie Run, Personnel immediately installed appropriate items to prevent further contamination. Subsequently, 70 first response agencies would respond from Ohio, West Virginia, and Pennsylvania, with Ohio Governor Mike DeWine issuing a state of emergency due to the chemical release. The Environmental Protection Agency too responded to the area to begin monitoring the air. By February 5th, crews on the scene noticed the temperature rising in one of the crashed cars and feared that an explosion would send deadly shrapnel into the nearby community as the fire continued to burn. Due to this, a mandatory evacuation was ordered on February 6th, which encompassed a one-mile radius. The Ohio National Guard was activated to aid in the evacuation of the citizens from this town. Following the evacuation, Norfolk Southern personnel conducted a controlled release of the chemicals into a dug trench that was then ignited to burn off. The fire released both hydrogen chloride and phosgene into the air. Hydrogen chloride can cause irritation with the skin, eyes, nose, and respiratory tract, and phosgene can cause eye irritation, a burning sensation in the throat, breathing difficulty, and chest pain. Environmentally, this disaster is going to be generational, with many not developing systems until well after cleanup crews and EPA officials have returned home. On February 23rd, 
Mary Mertz, director of the Ohio Department of Natural Resources, stated that the derailment potentially killed more than 43,000 fish, crustaceans, amphibians, and other marine animals. State officials also said on February 23rd that they have not yet seen death or any negative effects on animals living on the land. However, residents report that pets and animals as far away as 10 miles from the derailment site died overnight during the controlled release of vinyl chloride. What's even more disheartening is that Norfolk Southern trains began running through the same area only a couple of days following the initial derailment, furthering the distrust between the local community and Norfolk Southern who stated trains would not run through the area near East Palestine until the cleanup had been completed. So where exactly do we stand with the cleanup efforts? Is there anything to worry about? Or is Norfolk Southern actually taking this disaster seriously? Well, in my opinion, I don't believe so. When cleanup operations officially began, Norfolk Southern was placed in charge and tasked with cleaning every bit of toxic material from the site of the accident. However, by February 21st, the EPA would officially have to take over cleanup operations due to this disaster morphing into an environmental cleanup effort. In addition to being charged by the EPA for all cleanup, Norfolk Southern will have to reimburse each household that must be cleaned as well. I can understand why there is distrust between Norfolk Southern and East Palestine residents. From the start, Norfolk Southern did very little to support the affected town and its residents, offering only $1,000 to each resident for evacuation expenses. However, this $1,000 was meant to silence the residents and prevent future legal action. In town halls, where residents were able to ask questions and confront Norfolk Southern officials, Many expressed their disgust and frustration because it feels as though not enough is being done to support the residents. Many residents have stated that Norfolk Southern should pay for their families to relocate to prevent future health complications. To give a bit of a perspective for you, the median income of East Palestine, Ohio is right at $28,000 annually, meaning many residents are facing poverty and the inability to move as a result, furthering their future exposure and risk for health complications. What I believe should be done is to evacuate those who choose to move to areas that offer opportunity, advancement, and the ability to improve their lives rather than be forced to suffer at the hands of a corporation that chooses to issue stock buybacks rather than invest in safety infrastructure. While no deaths have been reported, what I fear is the future effects of this disaster. We truly won't know what the detriment is to this environmental disaster, potentially for decades. I can't remember where I heard this quote, but someone said it perfectly. This is our Chernobyl. Now, the residents weren't exposed to dangerous levels of radiation, but the combination of chemicals and their byproducts once ignited pose a serious public health threat to those exposed, and Norfolk Southern should honestly foot the bill. So this is where we are. We are basically in a holding pattern. Cleanup efforts continue to this very day, weeks later, and air monitoring has remained a constant, and residents continue to fear for their health. While the preliminary investigation has identified the potential cause for the accident, we truly won't know until it completes its official report, which could take quite some time. What I do know is that Norfolk Southern should continue to be watched under a very, very close microscope, as I don't truly believe they care about people in communities that are affected by disasters like this, only their bottom line. I want to thank all of you for listening this week, and of course, if you enjoyed it, Please leave a like and a five-star rating to help increase the visibility of this podcast to the general public. We're coming up quickly on episode 50, and I have one hell of a special planned for you all. Take some time to listen to past episodes while I'm crafting the special. I expect it to be done within the next couple of weeks, and from there, I do plan to take a break and research new material. Be sure to follow the podcast, 
The links are provided in the show notes below. Until next week, this has been Destination Disaster.